You're listening to Conversation with the Experts, a Royal Children's Hospital Education Hub podcast. Hello, my name is Steve Lacey and I'm the Allied Health Education Fellow in the RCH Education Hub. I also work as the Tutor Radiographer in Medical Imaging at RCH. In a previous podcast, we talked with Dr. Beck Sabo about clinical simulation and what it is and how it works. And today we're going to look at a specific example of how it's actually been working. So I'm with Kim Price. Uh, Kim is a clinical nurse educator in the RCH emergency department and has been there for the last 11 years. And her role allows her to regularly use simulation in her work. I'm also joined by Dom Chincotta, who is the pediatric emergency physician and simulation lead at RCH emergency. Now, Dom has actually been here for almost 25 years. Sorry, Dom, to, to let that one out of the bag. Uh, but he has a specific interest in allergy and anaphylaxis, uh, and that's where the researchers come into it and that. So welcome, Kim and Dom. Great. Thanks, Steve. Happy to be here. Hi, Steve. Great to be here. Okay. So I'm aware that the ED team at RCH utilizes in situ simulation in their team education and training. Can you talk us through the different types that are used in the ED? Sure. All our in-situ sessions are multidisciplinary and facilitated by a senior doctor and nurse. KISS or Keep It Simple simulation, a short 10-minute scenario is run twice weekly, mid-morning on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Yep. We also run MIST, which are multidisciplinary in-situ skills training, comprising 10-minute skill drills. These include twice-daily airway drills for the resuscitation team and Friday afternoon alternating drills for other staff. Our program links to a translational simulation approach of explore, test or embed for quality improvement, Steve. So sessions can explore or diagnose why errors or gaps in practice occur. They can test or evaluate interventions, or they can embed and educate as to best practice. That sounds fantastic. We may get to this a bit later in the podcast. Do you find it easy to do Friday afternoon simulation training? Because I know how busy you guys can be on a Friday afternoon. Well, I certainly know how busy I am in imaging on a Friday afternoon. Is it something that's easy to, to achieve? I think we definitely make it work the majority of the time, um, but it is about flexibility and it is about acknowledging what's going on in the department at the time. Okay. Participants are rostered to attend and that helps make it happen Yeah, right. most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good to know. One of the main benefits to in-situ simulation that we see is team training in the actual clinical environment. Um, there are huge benefits to this because it adds to the realism of the simulated scenario for participants, especially when relating to that clinical space, equipment we use, logistics, as well as human factors such as teamwork itself and working together. In situ simulation can also be beneficial for quality improvement. Um, we include a number of different clinical presentations in our in situ simulation program. We have focused on anaphylaxis um, for a recent quality improvement study. This study was actually recently published in the Emergency Medicine Australasia Journal, um, and it was titled Utilising In-Situ Simulation Within Translational Simulation Programs to, to Evaluate and Improve Multidisciplinary Response to Anaphylaxis in the Paediatric Emergency Department. Um, you know, we also acknowledge our co-authors, Dr. Sinead O'Donnell and um, fellow nurse educator Felicity Spencer-Keefe. And this study has received, you know, a lot of interest and real positive feedback, which has been amazing for us. Yeah, look, it's a wonderful article. I have, I have read it and a lot of the things in there, I think, are extremely interesting and relevant for a lot of areas and departments. Anaphylaxis is, is such an important topic. Can you tell us more about it? Yeah, I completely agree, Steve. Anaphylaxis is really important um, and it's got broad applicability to many healthcare settings. 
I suppose there's a few reasons why we focused on anaphylaxis specifically, and they are because it is relatively common presentation to the paediatric ED. And you know, deterioration can be quite sudden or even life-threatening. We know that management includes, you know, that timely administration of intramuscular adrenaline into the lateral thigh, which sounds easy, right? You know, however, the truth is responding to an evolving situation like acute anaphylaxis, you know, this can be really, really stressful. You know, we want teams to feel prepared and confident to manage such situations in all areas of the ED. For the study, we did a prospective observational study utilizing that anaphylaxis in situ simulation scenario and with the aim to identify the frequency and the cause of adrenaline errors in a paediatric ED. And we also sought to evaluate our multidisciplinary emergency team response to anaphylaxis management in our emergency department. Was this off the back of any specific incidences that came about? I think that we wanted to look at uh, medication errors um, because we were aware that they were um, potentially occurring in our department, um, but we didn't really understand or know why they were occurring um, or the frequency. So we wanted to really look at that and explore Mm -hmm. it further. It was a real clinical incident um, where we uh, made an error in dosing. And so the the scenario that we designed for this study was taken Exactly from that clinical scenario. Yeah, right. Okay, that's good. What were your methods and results? Yeah, thanks for asking, Steve. So we ran 23 in situ simulations utilising various departmental locations, mainly the cubicles, but also places like the fast track area and the short stay unit Mm. and even the GP clinic. We used a standardised scenario and a standardised debrief form. We found that adrenaline was administered 100% of the time within our five-minute target, and that was a median time of two minutes and 57 seconds. But we noticed that adrenaline medication errors occurred in 30% of the in-situ simulations. This included three administration errors and four near misses where the drug was ordered and prepared incorrectly, but fortunately caught not given. So when you're talking about the administration errors, are you talking about the dosage or are you talking about the site of administration? It was both. Okay. Many were related to verbal orders and how that was actually then given to the patient. Yeah. Okay. We noticed that a medication cognitive aid was only used 56% of the time and was not utilized in all three of those administration errors. And interestingly, this is despite the the aid being in the Met trolley that was brought to the scenario. It's just that many staff didn't know it was there. We noticed medication dosing errors were associated with equipment that was either missing, unfamiliar, or couldn't be located. We also observed knowledge gaps specifically in adrenaline dosing itself, and we also observed some human factors challenges, including role allocation and calling for help. That's great. And what did you learn about what changes to your environment you needed to introduce? Yeah, so we really did learn a lot from the study um, and it really enabled us to explore our environment, to identify the cause of errors and targeted interventions, which was really great. Um, Some simple changes that we've introduced since the study is that we now promote the use of the Monash Paediatric Emergency Medication Book in all our emergency responses in our department. We also ensure that we include an overview of the MET trolley, which is our emergency trolley that we bring to all emergency responses. And we make sure that we orientate all our staff to this trolley and the equipment that's in it. 
And we encourage our non-resus um, staff to perform those daily checks on that Met trolley so that they are more confident and more able to locate equipment during an emergency response if needed. Yeah, that sounds very important. Mm. Um, we've added some role allocation stickers to the trolley. And so this also helps staff be more easily identified within those roles during an emergency response. And in particular, the team leader role, which is really important. And to improve access to adrenaline, we've also introduced an anaphylaxis dosing box with adrenaline and equipment required to prepare and administer IM adrenaline. And this also includes a dosing chart to assist that medication administration. Okay. How will these results impact your patient care? Yeah, so it's a great question because really I think that's one of the main motivations of our in-situ simulation program and the study itself. You know, we want to make a positive impact on patient care. We see the benefits of emergency teams training together in the actual clinical environment and practicing using those resources and cognitive aids and equipment around them to ensure that they're delivering that timely and efficient care. And we really hope that by continuing the program and introducing new topics that we can continue to, um, I suppose, expand our learning and education into other areas too. Yeah. Steve, I agree with what Kim has said there. We've also translated our quality improvement into other areas of patient care, for example, croup. So we've introduced a croup box that's specifically developed to improve access to adrenaline, correct dosing, and time to nebulizer administration. These boxes are located in areas like triage, where once staff have called for help, we can provide timely care with the aim of reducing further deterioration. Mm, fantastic. So our motivation is really to improve the care delivery, ensure we're doing our best for the patients and their families, but also support staff in the process. That is a great example of then transferring the results from one study and also improving the care uh, in other clinical presentations, such as croup, as you have suggested. Are there any challenges that you can think of when running the program, as in, you know, like we, like we talked about before, like a busy Friday afternoon? Um, and of course, ED is obviously very dynamic and, and unpredictable as well. Yes, there are definitely some challenges, Steve, um, running in situ simulations in a busy, dynamic, you know, clinical environment like the ED. Um, but we have found that it's still feasible. Um, I suppose some of the challenges include, which I'm sure are no surprise to any of our fellow emergency colleagues, but clinical space is a big one. You know, when our environment is full of patients or we're experiencing bed block, this can, of course, be challenging. But we found that being resourceful with our space can really help us run our in-situ simulation program. So being resourceful has really helped the positive aspect of our program as that it's allowed us to use more clinical spaces like triage or our short-stay unit, GP clinics or isolation rooms, where the potential of a clinical scenario like anaphylaxis is actually very real. Mm. Um, and honestly, I think our team quite like the variety and challenge of participating in in-situ simulations in these different clinical spaces. So I think that's been really great. Dom, do you have any challenges that you can think of? Yeah, another challenge, Steve, is ensuring staff participation when they have competing clinical demands. Mm -hmm. As you mentioned, Friday afternoon, it's yeah. always busy. How do we run a 10-minute skill drill? To ensure feasibility in running our in-situ simulations, we have a time target. So a five-minute scenario with a five-minute debrief or a 10-minute or a in total skill drill. Yeah. And this is monitored by stopwatch by the faculty. Just before we run... Any in-situ simulation, we always ensure we have approval from the consultant in charge and nurse in charge to proceed. They have really great oversight of the department, the expected patients, where increased demands are in certain areas, and they also know which staff to target for training on any given day. So we always ensure they're happy for us to proceed with an in-situ simulation. 
We are flexible and accepting that sometimes it just can't happen. This is very important to ensure that everything runs as smoothly as possible and that there's no interruption to direct patient care. Yeah. During our study period of 16 months, we were able to run 83% of all the scheduled in, uh, in situ simulations, not just the anaphylaxis. And overall, as a department, we were happy with that. How much time have you, do you go into preparing something that might only go for five minutes with a five-minute debrief following? Yeah, so I think um, our ED uh, nursing education team usually do the setup and preparation um, for the in-situ simulations, which involves getting the equipment like the mannequin and things together, mm-hmm. um, liaising with um, the other faculty, which is the ED consultant or fellow, and then communicating with the consultant in charge and AUM. And um, because we've been doing it for quite a while now, I think that our team are pretty um, smooth with our, our setup. But again, we are flexible. So, and I think that, that that is important. And there's probably also the expectation from the staff. They know that, you know, you come to them, they're, they're, that you're going to be asking, hey, can we do this simulation? And they'll be like, yep, yep, no worries, because they know what it's about. They know how it runs and that. So a well-oiled machine is probably a better way of putting Absolutely. it. Absolutely. <laughs> but I actually think they still get a bit surprised when the, you know, emergency buzzer goes. <laughs> Sometimes they arrive and do an in-situ simulation. I think they're quite happy that it's not an actual oh, okay. scenario. Yeah, right. Yeah, but they still seem to, you know, forget it's that Tuesday or Thursday um, session that's running. Yeah. We also have an emergency sim team and we prepare in advance. So we decide what the topics will be for the kiss in the mist. Yeah. We prepare the materials in advance. We communicate it to the department and we write to each of the educators who are rostered to deliver it. Yeah. So when the day comes, people aren't trying to work out what are we doing, where is the equipment, and where and when are we going to do it? Yeah, it's already It's all well planned in advance. Yeah, that's fantastic. So I can imagine that there's uh, healthcare workers from all areas and hospitals listening in and thinking that they'd love to start a program like this in their own department or their own area of, of emergency. What would your advice be or like your top tips to someone who wants to start simulation within their healthcare setting? You know, planning, so engaging the senior leadership team to seek approval and support, you know, really plan, plan, plan. Think about a suitable day, a time, location, but of course be flexible. Um, I suggest aiming to make it relevant. So by focusing on a quality improvement topic, for example, like we did with anaphylaxis, um, something that's relevant to your department can be really beneficial. Mm-hmm. Steve, I would say think about your faculty. Who, who's going to run the simulations? I think faculty development promotes sustainability. So consider providing regular faculty training. In the Royal Children's Hospital Emergency Department, we run a six-monthly course. It's called an Orientation to Simulation, Debriefing and Difficult Conversations. This is offered to all senior staff and particularly our simulation faculty. This ensures they have the skills to debrief and can provide psychological safety in a simulation environment for our participants. I think my third point would be keep it simple and on time. So simplify the scenario, technology and session goals to keep it short and ensure clarity. And I'm sure that engaging staff is also really important. So how do you engage and ensure that the staff is participating? Yeah, I love this question, Steve, because I think that's it's a really important um, aspect of in-situ simulation because you want to foster team training. That's key. You know, you want staff to feel supported and listened to, especially when they help identify system improvements. And you want staff to walk away thinking, you know, yep, that in-situ simulation was great. I learned something really important there. And now I'm going to do that in my clinical practice to improve patient care. We want to create you know, positivity around the program that ultimately will contribute to its longevity. 
And I think another important factor is communication. So, you know, how do we inform our staff about these programs and the in-situ simulations? A number of ways we do this is we talk about it in our morning huddles. Um, we have posters, we have a departmental newsletter, emails. And we also want to ensure that the information about our program and in-situ simulations are included in all our new staff orientations so that they're aware of the program and what's involved. Mm. You know, staff, they do really need to feel psychologically safe um, to engage. And we ensure that they're aware that they can opt out of participation if they really want to. Again, I think the point is it's really about fostering engagement, ensuring we're creating a supportive and safe learning environment where the aim is really just to ensure delivery of excellent and safe patient care as a team together. Yeah, that's fantastic. Look, thanks to both of you for your, uh, for your contributions today. I love that your department are providing time and resources for things such as this. I think a lot can be learned from this, particularly for other departments that want to follow suit and certainly other healthcare centres as well. Thanks very much. Great. Thanks, Steve. Thank you, Steve. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Conversation with the Experts, part of the Royal Children's Hospital Education Hub podcast series. If you'd like to hear more of our podcasts, check out our other podcast show, Teach, Think, Treat, where we discuss aspects related to teaching and learning in a busy clinical setting.